So this morning, we're going to continue our study in Ephesians 3, which we have been in for the last few months, maybe a year, I don't know. Uh, So go ahead and turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to pick up uh, where we left off last time. We've been slowly making our way through this letter, this wonderful, rich letter. And you, if you were with us last time, you'll remember that we left off um, at the first part of verse 17. We paid attention and looked at verses 13 through 17, the first part. That message is entitled, That Christ May Dwell in Your Hearts. And we looked at verse 14 of chapter 3, where Paul continues his thought. Um, Paul was pausing in the middle of his thought because in chapter 1, verse 1, there's a comma after the word I. We noted that last time. And it's as though Paul is interrupting himself. He's got another thought that's working in his mind. And so we saw that from the last half of verse 1 all the way through verse 13 of chapter 3 is a digression. It's a long parenthetical statement, a long parenthetical thought, um, which we talked about last time. And as we read verse 14, we saw Paul, Paul completing his original thought, which is a prayer, a prayer for these dear saints that extends really all the way to verse 21. You'll note in your... Bible, there's no comma after I in verse 14. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So, let's take a look at this prayer. You may recall that last time we just asked the question, why did Paul do this? What was it that was on his mind? What caught his attention and interrupted him in the middle of his thought? And we remember that Paul was writing this letter from a Roman prison, right? And he knew that these Ephesian saints were aware of that fact. So he was concerned for them. He was concerned that these dear saints might become anxious about his well-being and the future that lie ahead, not only for Paul, but for themselves as well. Paul was concerned that they might become discouraged, even frightened at his sufferings and tribulations as a prisoner and be overcome with fear. I mean, they knew why he was in prison. And sadness, he was concerned sadness might grow and uncertainty and confusion about the Christian life. Paul did not want these precious saints to lose heart. That's why he wrote what he did in this long digression. And if you look at verse 13, he says that very thing. He says, therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulation on your behalf, for they are for your glory. My tribulation, your glory. Paul sought to encourage and reassure these dear saints by reminding them of the glorious gospel, the mystery of Christ, of which they were all partakers, so they would not lose heart. That's a danger, isn't it? We can all lose heart. 
We mentioned last time that this is such a sweet picture of pastoral care, right? Paul was a pastor. He was an apostle, but he had the heart of a shepherd. And as a result, he's praying for them. He cares for for God's precious people, God's flock. That's what prompts this prayer. And he encouraged them with God's truth, with the word of God, God's promises. And really, that's what all true shepherds do. Shepherds are under-shepherds. They simply point the flock back to the good shepherd, the one who cares for the souls of his own. Again, suffering was at the forefront of his thinking, and really, that the shepherd, a, a true under-shepherd, is preaching, teaching God's word, and praying in order that God's people will know God. Because suffering and persecution are very much a part of the Christian life. It's not a popular message, but it's true. And we just heard a wonderful teaching last Sunday. In fact, I'd like to read the verses from Romans 8. Suffering is something we should all expect in one degree or another as we live out our lives for Christ. Romans 8, 16 and verse 17, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. In suffering, we need God's word. We need God's word, period, for growth, to know him, for faith to be built. But in the midst of a suffering, sickness, disappointment, danger, we need God's promise. We need to hear that. We need to be taught. We need to be brought back. Paul's sitting in another prison toward the end of his life. He's cold. He's in a hole, essentially. And he writes to Timothy, and he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That was from personal experience. All God's people need the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the Bible. I, like, I love it when I hear um, John Piper say, I love the Bible. I love the Bible. All the promises of God. We need prayer. We need to be prayed for, and we need to pray. We need to call out to God in desperation. That's what importunate prayer is. God, help me. Help me, Lord. And really, that dependence and that desperation comes when we see the holiness of God and we see our utter sinfulness. God, help me. And he has in Christ. Our great hope of assurance, our great confidence as true believers is in the word of God, in prayer, before the throne of God. I love that hymn, before the throne of God, I have a strong and perfect plea, right? Um, Wonderful. So, this brings us to our text this morning. 
I'm going to ask you to stand as I read the verses. I'd like to read verses three through twenty, or uh, chapter three, verses fourteen to twenty-one. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Take seat. Now, last time we looked at this prayer of Paul's, we specifically directed our attention on verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Just curious, how many were here last time? Okay. Some review and some not. Yeah, we noted this phrase, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Um, It carries the idea of an acceptable dwelling, a comfortable place, an inviting place to dwell in permanently. Remember, when the Lord came with the two angels to Abraham and met with Abraham, Sarah made a meal. The Lord sat down and ate, enjoyed the meal because he was comfortable. But when he went to see Lot, he didn't go. He sent the angels. We remember the story. In Genesis 19, we see Lot sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now, the gate is where all the business is conducted. So here's Sodom, I mean, here's Lot sitting in the gate of Sodom, just in the business, all up in the business of Sodom. And although Lot was a righteous man, and we know that from 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, the place where Lot was dwelling wasn't even suitable for our glorious Lord to visit, let alone to dwell. I'd like to reread for you... Um, from this commentary by Kenneth Wiest on this verse, I read it last time, but here's a quote from him. The purpose of the strengthening by the Spirit, and he's referencing verse 16 of chapter 3 in Ephesians, is now given, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. The personal presence of the Lord Jesus in the heart of the believer is not in view here. That is taken for granted. The word dwell is the Greek word, I won't attempt it, but meaning to live in as a home. First part of that word is kata, meaning down. Thus, to settle down and be at home. The tense is errorist, showing finality. So the expanded translation is 
that Christ might finally settle down and feel completely at home in your hearts. And he quotes a do, uh, Dr. Max Reich, who said this in the hearing of Kenneth Wiest, quote, if we make room for the Holy Spirit, he will make room for the Lord Jesus, unquote. That is, if the saint lives in conscious dependence upon and yieldedness to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will make room for the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus in the heart and life of the saint by eliminating from his life things that are sinful and of the world and thus enable the saint to make the Lord Jesus feel completely at home in his heart. Wonderful condescension of heaven's king to be content to live in a believer's heart and have fellowship with him, unquote. Brothers and sisters, God's glorious plan for us is that Jesus Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith right now. Live with us. Enjoy us enjoying his presence and him having a, an acceptable place to dwell. that he would feel at home, that he would feel comfortable, settled in, and welcome. Listen to Jesus' words. I mean, how do we know this? Jesus' own words in John 14, verse 23, if anyone loves me, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him, to dwell with him, to live with him. This brings us to our text this morning in Ephesians 3.17. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now, we're going to attempt to take the last part of 17 and the first part of 18, Lord willing. But to start with, we must ask, what is Paul emphasizing when he uses the phrase being rooted and grounded in love? Why these terms in reference to love? So we can begin by looking closer at his phrase, being rooted and grounded Paul is praying for these saints that they will remember that God himself is the one who planted them. God himself is the one who rooted them in his love in order that they may be able with all the saints to comprehend and to know the love of Christ. Look at uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. According to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In love 
He predestined us. You know, the enemy, the flesh, this world is constantly yammering in our ears that God doesn't really love you or he doesn't love you as much. That questioning, that always questioning. We're going to go on to talk more about that, but God has given his people his love. Love that originates from God himself. It does not originate from us. It originates from him. Doesn't that bring you confidence and comfort and joy and assurance? Someone said it takes love to know love. That's true. Therefore, God has given his chosen people his love so that they can know his love and the love of Christ. Because these Ephesian saints have God's love, Paul prays for them, knowing they are rooted and grounded in that love, love which they have from God. Paul is praying that these dear saints will grow in the knowledge of this truth, convinced that they are, in fact, rooted in the love of God, rooted in Christ Jesus. Such a wonderful prayer. A prayer we should all be praying both for ourselves and for the whole body of Christ. Right? Praying that we would all realize this truth more and more. We would grow in this truth. Praying that we would all realize that we are rooted in God's love and rooted in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's look at this phrase when Paul uses this term rooted again a Greek word I won't attempt but it simply means to root become stable strengthen with roots to render firm to fix establish cause a person or a thing to be thoroughly grounded it's an agricultural term Paul's readers would have been familiar with this, with this term because they lived in an agrarian society. Ag was their business, right? And they would have certainly understood to be rooted would refer to a planting that is established, healthy, bearing fruit. I mean, we all know that in our gardens. When something's rooted. Paul was reminding these Ephesian saints that because they are rooted, because they are rooted in Christ, they are rooted in love. That Jesus Christ is the root. And they who belong to Christ are rooted in Christ. Which means they're rooted in love. God's love. To be rooted in Christ is to be rooted in love. God is love. John wrote that in 1 John. Jesus Christ is the full expression of the love of God. Jesus Christ is the root in which the believer is rooted. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. Then in that day, God says, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. In Revelation 22, verse 16, Jesus himself says this, I, Jesus, 
have sent my angel to testify to you of these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Are you catching how important it is that we understand that we're rooted in Christ? Paul's praying that these saints will realize more and more this glorious truth that they are in Christ, rooted in Christ, rooted in God, and therefore rooted in love. In light of this truth, he prays for them, praying they will grow, be established in love, being fruitful in love. Love for Christ and love for his church. Again, those who are in Christ are rooted in love, Christ's love, Christ's love for God, and Christ's love for his church. Those are the things that we want to look for in our lives and in the lives of the church, in the lives of other believers. A love for Christ and a love for the church. So this love will be evident. It absolutely will be because we're rooted in the life of of God in Christ. It has to be. It has to be evident in some degree in the life of every true believer because every, the life of every true believer is rooted in the life of Jesus Christ himself. And Christ, you know who he loves supremely? God. That's what our life should look like. Because we're of his root. Does that make sense? As a result, the same love will be evident in the life of every true child of God. A a person's life that is rooted in the life of Christ is rooted in the love of Christ and therefore the expectation of that person's life is love. Supreme love for Jesus Christ himself and a love for the church, a love for others. This is the principle of good root, good fruit, right? Good root, good fruit. Listen to what John writes regarding this principle of good root, good fruit in 1 John 3. By this, verse 10, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Good root, good fruit. And later on, verse four, or chapter 4, familiar verses, 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, 
we also ought to love one another. You see the principle? Good root, good fruit. This Christ-like love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? According to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Go ahead and turn over there, Galatians 5, 22, so you can look at it. And this is what we read. I'm sure many of us have this memorized. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, or faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Our Kent Hughes, in his commentary on Ephesians, quotes Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. He was pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia from 1927 to 1960. And he points out that love is intrinsic to all the fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5. Listen to this quote. Love is the key. Joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Long-suffering or patience is love enduring. Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness. Self-control is love holding the reins. Isn't that good? And Hughes goes on to say that there are no fruits of the Spirit without love. You know what? That was the problem in the Corinthian church. They were focused on demonstrations of power without Love holding the reins. Yeah. We must be rooted and founded, he goes on to say, we must be rooted and founded in love with all the depth and profundity of these metaphors. And of course, the word of God, given through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, gives us the best, most clear instruction on what being rooted in love looks like biblically in the life of a true believer who is, whose life is rooted in love. So let's turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. And I'd just like to read these 13 verses. Very familiar verses to us, I'm certain. Paul says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I just want to pause for a moment. I think I've shared this before. Every time I read this verse, I was impressed by a pastor down in St. George preaching on this text. He had his teenage son. He read the verse, called his son up, with some symbols and had him march up and down the thing, clanging these symbols like for two minutes. It was annoying. It was, but that's Paul's point, right? That's his point. He made the point. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. 
And if I give my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act rudely or unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will, be, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So much to be said about this, but to be rooted in Christ is to be rooted in God. To be rooted in God is to be rooted in love. Every true believer is rooted in Christ, which means that every true believer is rooted in love. So at least three things come to mind, at least came to my mind, um, when we think about a plant being rooted. The root supports the plant, right? The root supplies the plant, and the root sustains the plant. So let's think about the root supporting the plant and let's think about the plant being an oak tree. Scripture refers to the people of God as oaks of righteousness in Isaiah 61. The planting of the Lord. Let me read these verses. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. We all know that a healthy oak tree has big established roots, right? They're deep, strong, able to support the full weight and dimension of the tree. God has planted his people deep within his love. Thus, the planting of the Lord is rooted in an environment where the roots have grown deep and strong and are able to support the full weight and dimension of his oak tree of righteousness. 
other thoughts kind of spin in my head and I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail. I may never come back. Um, but when we think about the requirement of God, holiness, you shall be holy for I am holy, that's an impossibility for a human. Apart from the fact that we are rooted in holiness, we're rooted in righteousness, we're rooted in love, God will accomplish his good purpose. Why? For my glory, that he may be glorified. That's why we have such a strong confidence as believers that God will accomplish his good purpose. We're included, but it's for his glory. It's for his glory. Do you think God... It's, it's foolish to think that God would disappoint himself. I mean, no. No chance. What a glorious confidence we have. Yeah. This is God's gracious work. This is his work. Jeremiah 32, verse 40, I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them, from them to do them good, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. You hear the finality in this? I will rejoice over them, God says, to do them good and will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. Wow. Is there any chance that we're not going to grow if you're rooted in Christ? If you're rooted in love, is there any chance that you're going to fall away? No. No chance. Because you've been planted in righteousness, holiness, and truth with, the full, with God's whole heart and his soul. That is amazing. Listen to David, Psalm 52 Verse 8 and 9. But as for me, David says, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. Oops, there's a root, a strong root. Trust. Hmm. Verse 9 I will give you thanks forever because you have done it. Another root. Faith. Trust. And I will wait on your name, for it is good in the presence of your godly ones. Another root. David rejoices in what God has done. God has done it. We look to God. We look to Him for His strength. We look to Him for His wisdom and for what He wants. The planting of the Lord is His own work. The roots are strong and healthy because they are rooted within, deep within, God's love. They're able to support the full weight and dimension of his tree, his oak tree of righteousness. And we all understand that a healthy tree is always supported by healthy roots, right? I just, I love that as I grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, 
His purpose will be accomplished because of Him. Because of Him. The root supports the tree, and the root supplies the tree. Let's take a look and consider the root being the supply of the tree. Again, we remember that Paul is praying that these dear saints in Ephesus understand that they're rooted and grounded in love. He says, being rooted and grounded in love. Paul presupposes that these dear saints are rooted in God's love because they're, they've been rooted in Christ. And ultimately, it's the root of the love of God that supports the tree, um, supplies the tree, and sustains the tree. And the root is Christ. So, the supply of God's love is eternal. Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God's supply is eternal. He says, therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. The supply of God's love is infinite. It's vast. It's unmeasured. Um, look back at chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The supply of God's love is infinite. And the supply of God's love is unilateral. Yeah, it's one-sided. Think about this. The supply of his love. The supply of his love. Listen. Paul writes this to Titus in Titus chapter 3. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Does it sound like a one-sided deal? Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now listen, I know that that's got some eyebrows going up, this unilateral love. Yesterday in the men's group, we were talking about this event in Acts chapter 7, Stephen's martyrdom. And there was a young man there named Saul of Tarsus who was heartily approving. He hated Stephen. He hated him, wanted him dead. But when the kindness of our God appeared in his love for mankind, now we have Saul of Tarsus, I mean Paul, the apostle, right? I rejoice in God's mercy rooted in his love, dependent on his work, and so do you. You rejoice in that as a believer. 
It's your great hope and confidence, the love of God. You know you will change because he will accomplish his good work in you, Christian. Praise the Lord, right? Amen. So the root supplies the tree, or supports the tree, the root supplies the tree, and the root sustains the tree. Consider this truth. Listen to this. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So, David, the psalmist, just explained someone who's rooted in love. That's what they look like. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and it does, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. How important is it that we remember and understand and grow in the knowledge that we are rooted in the life of Christ, and we have an expectation to see fruit, to see evidence, to see evidence. So Paul alludes to a picture of a healthy tree being deep-rooted and strong, which is able to support the full weight and dimension of the tree. And now he alludes to a picture of a building that's built on a strong and sure foundation, which is able to support the full weight and dimension of the building. The next term Paul uses in this phrase here in his prayer in verse 17 is grounded. Again, another Greek word. Um, meaning to lay a foundation. Meaning to ground, to found, to settle. The foundation of any structure is crucially and vitally important, right? And of course, the larger the structure, the more critically important it becomes to have an adequate foundation. A foundation that is engineered and designed specifically for the structure of, that it's intended to support. Paul is praying that these precious saints would know that they are grounded and founded in love, that they are settled in the love of God in Christ. He's already given them a sense um, earlier in his letter of the enormity and the grandeur of this building that this foundation is supporting, and that they are grounded and founded in this foundation. Again, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, Paul says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole body, or the whole building being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. There's the size of the building, the dwelling of God, the temple where God is worshipped. 
He's praying that these dear saints will know that they're grounded in love, which is to say they're grounded in Christ. Christ is the foundation. And if they're going to be in the, the support of the dwelling of God where God is worshipped, it's important to understand that the grounding that we are settled in Christ himself. Jesus Christ is the foundation. Isaiah 28, 16, Therefore the Lord said, Look, I have laid in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will be unshakable. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, No man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So this foundation that supports the very dwelling of God himself is Christ himself, and every true believer who is grounded in love is grounded in Christ. Grounded in Jesus Christ himself, who is the foundation of this most glorious, magnificent building, the temple of the living God where he is worshipped. Think about that. The dwelling place of God, that's who you are. Quorum Deo, right? God is present. That is sobering. And it's wonderfully, it's amazing. The dwelling place of God, where God is glorified, Christ is exalted, the Holy Spirit honored, and where the church the church, along with the angelic host and all the host of heaven, gives praise to the eternal triune God forever and ever. God is here in our midst. He's in the midst of every um, gathering of the saints who are rooted and grounded in Christ to be worshipped. How crazy is it that the church has dismissed the glory of Christ? An emphasized man, run for your life. Don't be a part of that effort where man is lifted up and Christ is diminished. We're the dwelling of the living God. Because all true believers are grounded in love, are founded on the foundation of Jesus Christ, who is the chief cornerstone, the rock, they're able to withstand any storm. No matter how hard that storm rages, no matter how hard that storm beats against the building, the building cannot fall because it is built on the rock, built on a sure foundation. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Through 27, let's look at that. Again, Matthew 7, verse 24, these are familiar verses. Jesus says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, so there again, there's the definer, someone who's been rooted and grounded, right? may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it, yet it didn't fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, I just said that we can withstand the storms. And we have storms, sickness, violence, attack, um, whatever. Um, and those are storms. We're not going to diminish those things. They're, they're hard. But this isn't the storm that Jesus is talking about. And interestingly enough, both men are building one on a foundation, one on sand. Same storm. What do you think that storm is? It's judgment. That's why the fall of the house is great. <laughs> but to be built on the foundation, to be rooted in Christ, means you stand, right? Because Christ stood. He took the judgment on our behalf. Wow. How important is it that we know that we are rooted and grounded. So we spent some time talking about roots and foundations and trees and buildings. And that's been not only appropriate, but necessary for the gaining of a fuller understanding of the next verse in Paul's prayer. Again, verse 17, that you being rooted, being is a really important word in this phrase, you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. This verse gives the reason why Paul prays for these saints. He prays that they would not only know, but that they would be convinced that they are rooted and grounded in love so that they would be able to comprehend with all the saints the immensity of God's love in space, in time, in eternity. We take for granted the love of God. He has vast, glorious um, revelation for us. He wants us to know him. God is love. To know love is to know God. Hmm. Remember the saying, it takes love to know love. God graciously gave us his love so that we could know his love, right? And that's what Paul wants these dear saints to be, be able to understand, to grasp, realize, comprehend more and more the vast dimensions of the immeasurable love of God and to know the love of Christ, which is far beyond any human ability or human capacity to know left to itself. The knowledge of the love of Christ is way beyond human knowledge, way beyond human capability, way beyond human talent, power, or skill. 
to even begin to approach this glorious transcendent knowledge apart from being rooted and grounded in love, the love of God. Paul knows that. When he says in verse 18 that these saints may be able to comprehend, the phrase may be able carries the meaning in the Greek to have strength, to be entirely competent, to be eminently able, which points us back to verse 16, right, of chapter 3. Paul prays that he would grant you, he, God, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Yeah, it's the spirit of God. The spirit of, of God is the source and power of the believer's ability to comprehend the richness of God's love, which is why Paul prays to God on their behalf. The word comprehend, kata lambano, there I tried one, it means to take eagerly, to seize, to lay hold of, so as to make one's own, to obtain, attain to, to take into oneself, to appropriate, to take possession of Christ by his holy power and influence, laying hold of the human mind and will in order to prompt and govern it. Paul's praying that they would have, be able with all the saints to comprehend. That's what we want, right? As Christians, to understand, to know. Paul's praying for this for all the believers, he says in Christ, um, that all believers would, will literally apprehend in the sense of mental grasping, taking possession of this most glorious, most magnificent, transcendent truth of the love of God, which knows no limits, has no boundary. The love of God is infinite, as God himself is infinite. And when Paul prays in his prayer with all the saints, He's praying for all the saints for all time, praying for us. His prayer is not intended for just a select few of the saints who might be thought of as super saints. His prayer is not for them. No, his prayer is for all the saints, for all to comprehend, for all to apprehend, for all to take possession of, for all to own the love of God, which is for all the saints, for all time and eternity who are rooted and grounded in love, all who are in Christ Jesus. Are you rooted and grounded in love this morning? Do you know it? If you're a believer, you should, and you certainly can, because that's what God wants. Do you think God answered this prayer of Paul's? Of Paul's? Yeah, he absolutely did, and is. That's his heart. 
Well, next time, Lord willing, we'll get to the rest of verse 18 and hopefully 19, which says, What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge? Seems like an oxymoron to know something you can't know. That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Father, thank you for a glimpse, just a glimpse, of your magnificent love for us, all-encompassing. You, Lord, in love, created us, redeemed us, wrote our names in your book, all for your glory. Your love is glorious. May we remember that we share in the very nature of God. We share in the very... um, We are of God. May we love as God loves. Help us, Lord. Cleanse our hearts of sin and establish your word to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.